I invite you now to uh, grab a Bible and uh, open it to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And let me, let me tell you once again, before I read my text, well, let me, well, let me tell you this first, and then I'll tell you that. Um, I, I wanted to just um, bring you up to date on Gigi, in case you have any uh, interest at all. Um, it's, it's a discipleship package. Growth and Grace Institute is what it stands for. Yesterday we met and talked about covenant theology, and um, l- let me say... If you were not able to come uh, yesterday, I, I wouldn't suggest or recommend that you come th- this Saturday because it's the finishing up uh, the second half of Covenant Theology, and you're going to be somewhat disadvantaged. You're welcome to come. Come on, but uh, you're going to be somewhat disadvantaged. But uh, that's what next week is, and the next week is um, uh, on the let's see what would that be the uh, the 18th, I think. Yes, the 18th of February will be sola gratias. If you know anything about the Protestant Reformation, it was summarized under five solas. We've done sola fide, sola scriptura, and now we're going to do sola gratias, uh, grace alone. That will be on the 18th. And the final course, which I finally decided, and um, it's going to be on cults. Now, if you don't like that subject, I don't, you can blame Jill Bundy. She's the one that got a hold of me on a Wednesday night and said, were you aware that there was a somewhat of an infusion of Mormonism in our community. I, I was not aware of that, and, um, uh, but it just kind of led me down a road to say, well, maybe something ought to be said. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, that would be on the 25th of February. Uh, you don't have to sign up. You just show up. It's uh, 10 to 12, and uh, hopefully you'll find it uh, something that will address or scratch you where you're itching. Hope so. Now, follow as I read. My text is one verse. But before I read it, let me remind you. Um, I, I've said to you that Hebrews chapter 11 is a commentary on verse 38 of chapter 10. Remember when we were there, um, the, the call of the author of Hebrews is for the just to live by faith. The way we make it to the end is that we live by faith. And then he takes a chapter and he gives you illustrations, uh, examples of people living by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is. It is a commentary on 1038. Um, So I'm going to read you only one verse out of that commentary on uh, Hebrews 11. And what he's doing is he's giving you various component parts of what faith looks like. What, 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 what is this faith that I'm asking, uh, calling you to? And now he's going to give you another example. And um, it's found in verse 7. You follow as I read. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever 
Guys, one of the things that I've, I've said to you already, I've said it a couple of times, is that, um, that one of the things that you're going to get out of a study of Hebrews 11 is a brief Old Testament survey. The author of the book of Hebrews is using Old Testament examples, people, events, names that would be recognizable to his audience, and he's using that, though, them to illustrate what he means by faith. So we get a chance to take a look back at the Old Testament stories that, that perhaps we've heard of for so long. The, um, last week, as you recall, we looked, hopefully, uh, we, we looked at Cain and Abel. And then the next Hall of Famer that is mentioned in this list is a guy by the name of Enoch. We don't know Enoch very well. Um, in fact, his whole story is confined to 37 words. That's all we know about him from the Old Testament, 37 words about Enoch. But in the, in the interest of economy, uh, trying to keep this as short as I can, I'm, I'm going to skip Enoch, and we're going to go to the next one in the list, and his name is far more familiar to you. I mean, you've heard this name a lot. His name is Noah. And gosh, we're given five chapters about Noah. Um... Five chapters versus 37 words, I thought it, uh, it would be more useful and helpful to, to talk about Noah. So, we're going to take a look at Noah and his story. But to do that, I'm going to do something that I have, um, I don't know that I've ever done before, ever, but certainly not more than three times in my pulpit life. I'm going to preach to you a sermon that I have preached before. It was 30 years ago when I preached it, and it wasn't here. But it was Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that um, sent me to my files to tell you the story about Noah. So um, gather around, boys and girls. And let me tell you the, uh, the story about Noah and his famous Arky Arky. <laughs> um, guys, Noah is first mentioned in chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, but we don't get much really until chapter 6. Uh, that's where the story really begins, but he's mentioned in the last verse of chapter 5. Chapter 6 of the book of Genesis does give us a, a brief um, uh, description of Noah, and it's very, very positive. Listen, listen to what verse 9 of chapter 6 says about Noah. This is how Noah is described. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Did you get that? Wow, a righteous man, blameless in his generation, walked with God? And whereas that is truly descriptive of Noah, it certainly wasn't descriptive of his generation, his era, his culture, his surroundings, his neighborhood, his community, however, whatever you want to call it. Because um, that community is described four verses earlier in verse 5 of chapter 6. The, uh, the community is described this way. And every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. 
Wow. That's the descriptive sentence given to describe the culture of Noah's day. Let me, let me quote it again. Every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And in that culture, there lived a man named Noah who was blameless and righteous, walked with God. What a contrast. What a difference between Noah and his culture. Uh, whereas, um, whereas Noah is described as being righteous and blameless, oh, not his neighbors. No, no, no. His neighbors were anything but righteous and blameless. I mean, they were, every intent of their thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. Noah was righteous and blameless, and they were unrighteous and blameful. Whereas Noah sought to live a life that was free from blame, not his neighbors, not his friends. No, no. They lived a life where their every intent was to do something unrighteous. Um, Noah walked with God. Noah spent a lot, uh, much time trying to figure out what it meant to walk with God. And while Noah was walking with God, his neighbors were walking on him, walking from him, walking without him. Noah walked with God, but not his, not his neighbors. They walked on God. They did anything they could to get away from that God that Noah walked with. And then we're told in the Hebrews passage, um, in Hebrews eleven seven, that Noah feared God. Oh, but not his neighbors. No, no, no. I mean, fear God? What, what good is that? Why, who would want to do that? Why, why would anyone want to fear God? I mean, that, seems, that, that sounds so foolish and such a waste of time. Not me. I'm not fearing God, but Noah did. And then, of course, as the story unfolds, you find that Noah obeyed God. He obeyed and did what God told him to do, but not his neighbors. Whereas Noah spent his time trying to figure out what obedience looked like, his friends did everything they could to disobey all of the moral statutes that they knew were in place. And, and interestingly enough, um, Noah gets mentioned a couple of three times in, in the New Testament, and one of the times that he does is in 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's interesting, isn't it? This man that's blameless and righteous, feared God, walked with God, was a preacher of righteousness. He preached to an audience <laughs> that didn't listen to him. And so you've got this, this righteous man preaching to his neighbors and friends and community who weren't listening. A man that was blameless and righteous over against a, a world that was full of blame and unrighteousness. This man feared God, not this. This man walked with God, oh, not his friends. Uh, it, was, it was a righteous man living in an unrighteous world. What a resume on Noah's part. He was a good man surrounded by a world of wicked men. He was a, uh, he was a flower blooming out of a cesspool. Um, 
the faith that is being taught in Hebrews 11 is often lived out like that. Lived out in a, in a culture that thinks people of faith are, are either stupid or they're evil. Noah was a miserable minority of one. And who would have ever dreamed that Noah was right and everybody else was wrong? Which brings us to um, the part of the story about the ark. And you heard me, I hope, when I called it an arky arky. I did that kind of as a personal note. It's just a reminder of my youth. <laughs> when our children, when our three girls were small, we sang a song. We sang a song together, and we sang it often. Uh, if you don't know this song, you need to learn this song and sing it with your kids. It goes like this. Noah, he built him, he built him, an arky arky. Noah, he built him, he built him, an arky arky. Made it out of gopher barky barky children of the Lord. I'm not finished. So rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine. Y'all don't know that song? You do. I'm glad you do, dear. Uh, way to go. There's, there's, there's a couple of righteous people in the audience. Uh, you didn't sing that song to your kids? Well, listen, uh, we'll, we'll get it in print for you, and you can sing it at home. The little, my, my girls loved it. Noah and his arky arky made it out of barky barky. But there's, there's something you need to know, really, not out of the song, but out of the text, about the ark. You do know, don't you, that that ark was God's idea. It was engineered, architected, designed completely by God. Its, its length, its height, its width, its depth, all of it. All of those instructions, all of those details of that ark were given to Noah by God. Even, even the construction materials used in its construction. God told him what, what materials to use in the building of that ark. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, that ark was not Noah's idea. That ark was God's idea. Every detail of it. And the thing that I think you'll find notable, at least I did, there was only one of them. It wasn't two. It wasn't like you had a choice of three, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. If you stayed off the art, you didn't stay off the art because of, you didn't like the color, because there wasn't any colors. There was only one of them. There was only one ark. You didn't have a choice of three. You didn't choose between which ark you wanted to be on, because, ladies and gentlemen, there was only one ark. And that, that ark was engineered, designed, architected. It was God's idea. And, and the, the point is, if you miss out on that ark, you miss out on that ark. There was one door. It was a big door. It was big enough for elephants to walk through. But there in this, this God-provided means of deliverance, this God-provided means of transportation, this thing that could deliver people from a very pressing problem, 
there was a big hole in the side. And guys, um, interestingly, God had given Noah no instructions as to how to close that door. But in terms of that door, folks, outside that door, everything would be destroyed inside that door everything would be safe you see outside that door was chaos inside that door was peace on the outside death on the inside life that door was the only thing that separated life from death And there is a sense in which one can say that your entire destiny depended upon your relationship to that door. And you were either shut in or you were shut out. But Noah wonders, how am I going to get it closed? We're told, you know, in chapter 7, verse 16, we're told that God comes and shuts the door. And you know, to have that door shut by God, (laughs) boy, was that great news for everybody on the inside of that ark. But that same act, when that big door closed and slammed on its hinges, that same act, which was an act of grace and mercy for Noah, it was an act of judgment and condemnation for everybody else. Now, the people. I, I told you a little. Let me tell you just a little more about Noah's neighbors and friends and community. They were people who had been preached over. They had been pled with. They had been warned. They had been entreated. They had been instructed. For 120 years by this preacher of righteousness. 120 years Noah had preached to them. Some of them, very likely, had even been, had participated in the, in the construction of the ark. We don't know that for sure, but it seems that very possible that some of them would, help, would have helped Noah in, in, in its construction. But um, even if that isn't true, they certainly knew of the project. This is a big thing. So everybody around there at least knew that, that, this, that this ark existed. And um, though it was being built right there under their noses, this was the people who were too busy and too carried away with other things. They were, they were much more delighted in worldly matters. How do you know that, Jimmy? Well, Jesus told me. You know, he mentions Noah in in Luke chapter 17, 
Let me, let me, let me read you Jesus' words about Noah's day. This is in Luke 17, 26 and 27, and Jesus says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Guys, that language of eating and drinking and marriage and being given marriage, that's a Hebrew idiom. It's a saying, it's a descriptive saying about a culture that is absorbed in the pursuit of pleasure. Call it hedonism, call it consumerism, call it materialism, call it what you want. But that's what Jesus is describing. A people in whom every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually was a people who had given themselves over to the pursuit of pleasure. They had no regard, had no concern for a world to come. They lived as if this life was everything. And they were a people who didn't believe Noah. This, this preacher of righteousness. I mean, this man is crazy. He's a, he's a fanatic. He's a lunatic. Noah, you've been, preaching, you've been preaching about a flood for 120 years for us, and I haven't seen any flood. Noah, I don't have any religion, and I'm prospering. Noah, where, 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 where is all this, this judgment stuff you've been telling us about? You've been harping about this, this coming stroke of judgment. You've been harping on it for 120 years. I haven't seen anything, Noah. Noah, you're nuts. You know, in an interesting, um, an interesting little fact in the story. You can find it in verse 10 of chapter 7. Did you know this? Did you know that Noah was in the ark seven days before a drop of rain ever hit the ground? He and his family, that door was closed seven days before rain ever, ever began. Can you imagine the abuse he took for those seven days? Can't you imagine the the neighbors and community coming out at night and bringing a keg of beer and sitting and, and making fun of Noah? <laughs> Look at that fool. I mean, what, what, what is he doing? I mean, he became the laughing stock of the community. Seven days they, were, they gathered. But about day four, they pretty much had enough. You know, they'd already, they'd already developed all of their Noah jokes. You know, how many Noahs does it take to screw in a light bulb? And they'd already flung those at the, him and his family. But now, day four, it, it, was getting, it was getting much more serious. And so Noah, they began to yell, Noah, what are you doing up here? Okay, Noah, that's enough. Enough's enough, Noah. Get it off of there. Come on, Noah, get, 
Get your, get your family off of there and get back to work. This is irresponsible of you, Noah. Get off that boat. Come on, Noah. You've had this. We, we've, been, we've been dealing with this long enough. You've snapped, Noah. You, 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 you lost your mind. And yet, how different was their tune when the rain began to fall? When the clouds began to empty themselves in fury and the very earth's crust cracked and began to spew forth water. No one was cracking any more jokes. No one was scoffing at this preacher of righteousness now. You know, at first, the, the rain was kind of enjoyable. I mean, you know, it kind of never seen rain before. Kind of cooled off the land. You know, it was kind of nice. And then someone noticed a puddle. They'd never seen a puddle before. And then a puddle connected to another puddle. And then another. And pretty soon the water was ankle deep. Not much longer. The water had gone from ankle deep to knee deep. And at that point, the name of Noah was no longer ridiculed. It was reverenced. Suddenly, this, this preacher of righteousness became, he became the focus not of, not of jeers and railings and scoffings and laughter. but he became the, the focus of pleas for mercy. There was nobody calling Noah a fool now. But his name was being called out. Noah! Noah, help us! Noah, you can't let us die out here. Noah! Let us in there. Noah. Noah. Help us. And at this point, nobody, nobody cared for eating and drinking and making merry anymore. All they cared about is surviving. Some people climbed tall trees. They thought, surely, you know, this will be over and, and um, we'll find safety at the top of this tree. And then the water overtook it, the trees. And, but others, smarter, climbed high, mount, high, high mountains and, and uh, thinking that that perhaps could um, deliver them. And, and then the waters covered the mountaintops. But others, others were, um, others were uh, clinging to the side of the ark. They were banging on the side of the ark. 
No, you got to let us in there. No, open that door. But you see, that door had been shut by God. I read of a painting one time. I, I want to say I saw the painting at the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam, but I'm not sure. That might be a lie. But I, I think I saw it, but I could have just read about it. So we're just going to act like I saw it, okay? Uh, it was a painting that was depicting this scene. And it was a painting of a family. And um, the daddy of the family, the young man of the family, had his father on his back, his old father, and his father was hanging on to his neck. And um, the daddy of the family with his one arm was holding his wife at her waist, holding on to her while she, with both of her hands, with one hand she held on to one child at her chest, and with her other hand, the painting depicted that one child was at that very moment being swept out of the grasp of her mother. And then the father, with his other arm, his hand, he's holding on to a, to a branch of a tree. And yet in the painting, that branch had just snapped. And the whole tree was being pulled up by its roots. A scene that was repeated over and over again. Some of you think I'm crazy. Some of you think I'm a fanatic. And you, my friend, have been preached to. You have been prayed over. You have been pled with. Not for 120 years. But, but your main concern continues to be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. You give so little thought to eternity, to life after death. So little thought to your sin. So little thought to anything that concerns your soul. Depending on your age, you're, you're consumed. You're consumed with, with career and beauty and portfolio. But if you're a high school student, you're, you're consumed with members of the opposite sex, with popularity, with clothes, with sex, never once considering the danger that you are now in. And in the name of God and the gospel of his dear son, I am here to inform you that if you are outside of Jesus Christ, 
you are about to be swept away in a flood of God's wrath. But I'm also commissioned to tell you that God has provided another ark of safety, another means of deliverance from a, that very pressing problem. There's another ark. And the door to that ark remains wide open to all of you who will repent of your sin and come to Christ in faith. You do know, don't you, that in John chapter 10 in the New Testament that one of the things that Jesus is called is the door and I say to you my friend that your destiny eternally depends upon your relationship to that door There is only one ark of safety, only one ark of deliverance, and that's Christ. With him, you are safe. Without him, you will perish. I do not care who you are, how much money you've got, what you do, what you wear. What I ask you is this. Are you shut in? Or are you shut out? Are you in the ark? Or are you not? My friend, if you will be damned, you will do it to yourself. Your blood is on your own hands. Go down to the pit if you, if you choose. But know this much, that on this day and numerous others in the past, Christ was preached to you and you would not have him. You were invited to come but you refused. You know, guys, I started this sermon earlier as if it were some kind of fairy tale, some kind of joke. But it isn't. And just as in the days of Noah, People laughed until their sides hurt. Some of you are snickering on the inside. 
but just as in the days of Noah. Your indifference will turn to remorse. When you stand in the presence of God. I am here to invite you to Jesus Christ to step into the ark by faith in Christ and him only. If you will not do that, then you had better hope that this story is some kind of fairy tale. But it isn't. And I think that down deep in your soul, you know that. Look, off, off in the horizon, is that, is that storm clouds I see gathering? Father, would you use this story from your word, a man who is used as an example of faith, would you use this man, this, his story, to awaken and, and to impress upon all of us the necessity of being rightly related to you by faith in Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who have already stepped into the ark, would you thrill us with the reminder that we are everlastingly, eternally safe because of what Christ has done for us. That Jesus Christ is our ark and he will carry us to safety but father if you brought people here today who have not yet met our savior if they are still eating and drinking and making merry would you send an alarm to their soul That floods are things that come suddenly. Lord, thank you for the privilege that is mine to represent the great ark of the soul, Christ and him crucified. Hear us, we ask in Jesus' name.